0: I want you to think back to some of the most significant, monumental events in your life. They could be births or deaths, weddings, birthdays, graduations, even big hardships that you've been through in your life, or big trips that you've traveled, a big move, big achievements you've accomplished. Or significant spiritual moments, like perhaps when you accepted Christ. Okay, so you, you got have a few big moments in your head. Now, who was with you during these times? I bet that for the majority of these events, a number of faces pop into your head. Right? I, I think of the friends who went to a, a life changing youth conference with me when I was 17. Or I think of the the many family and friends who gathered and celebrated Angela and my marriage together. Or I think of the the smaller handful of families surrounding us at the births of our children. Or I think of the the faces of people, a number who are in this room now, who were here when I first became pastor here at Calvary. Now my point in this is that almost all significant markers in our lives take place alongside of other people. And we can recall them so easily. And I don't think that that these people are just coincidental in those experiences. I think they play a key part in making those experiences what they are. So, why would we expect anything different when it comes to our worship? Which is the most significant thing that we do in life. The people around you will inevitably play a key role in the way that you worship God. For better or worse. On the the worst side, they may distract you or annoy you or they may lead you to worship in a way that is unhelpful or even harmful. Maybe they set an example of, of coldness or carelessness. On the other hand, on the better side... The the people around us may inspire us to worship well. They may set a good example in in listening and singing and praying, which can move us to do the same. Or maybe you're going through a hard time in life, and someone worshiping beside you encourages you to, to lift your eyes off of your problems and up to God. See, I believe that We are molded in the way we worship by the people that we worship with. And other people won't just impact the worship experiences that you have in life. You will have a significant effect on theirs. While we may have some significant spiritual moments on our own, I believe that the the most significant ones will happen in the midst of community. And I believe that God's word suggests the same. So I invite you to see this with me. If you have a Bible, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, where we will continue our New Year's series all about worship. Now this passage we're going to look at in Ephesians happens to in a very similar context to last week's passage we saw in Colossians. At this point in his letter to the Ephesian church, Paul's already laid a good foundation. He's already talked about the gospel, about the good news of Jesus, and what, how he saves us, the unbelievable blessings that God has lavished on us in Christ. He's talked about how lost we are without him, and yet how we can be saved by grace, through faith, And we're then brought into this spiritual union with Christ. He's also talked about how they were brought into a family of fellow believers. If you look with me, back in chapter 2, here in Ephesians, in verse 18, he says this. we will just go through parts of these chapters leading up to here. and verse 3, it says we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then jump down to verse 15 there in chapter 4. It starts to shape us rather Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And to be a healthy part of this new community, our lives have to start to change, talks about his new life in the rest of chapter four and on and in verse 31 just for an example we see this let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you keep going in chapter five therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk. In love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And there, we see how that really should be shaping everything, that, that how we ought to live should be based on what Christ did. Right? That, that how he lived, how he died, sacrificially giving himself up for us. Christ's death was the single greatest example and demonstration of love ever. Like we don't deserve His love at all, being horrendous sinners, every one of us. But as it says back in chapter two, verse four, it says, "But God, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us." Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. If you have never experienced that love or that grace before, you haven't been saved by it, then I invite you to receive all of that today. Like this is an open offer, an invitation to you to be saved so you can be given mercy and forgiveness and a place in God's family, all because Jesus gave himself up for you. If, that's what, if you don't have that yet, but you want it, please come see us. We would love nothing more to help you than to meet Jesus. And for those who have already been saved among us, we have to remember this is our call to live like this, to shape our lives after Christ. Again, verse 1 in chapter 5, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The paragraph that follows this, talks about the many of the sins that we need to get rid of now as believers. And then Paul goes into more depth on what this walking in love looks like among the church. And that's where we're going to focus today. On the the paragraph starting in verse 15 down to 21 in chapter 5. As this, I believe, contains key teaching on what a church's worship should be like. Now, just really quickly... Let's review the definition I've proposed to you for worship. I said that that worship is coming before God and responding to Him in order to glorify Him. So the, the the who and where is God, the what is responding to Him, and the why is to glorify Him. And we believe that this is the number one reason we exist as a church to worship God. Like it says in 1 Peter 2, we are a, a people for God's possession that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Like we have been brought into God's people in order to proclaim God's praise. That's the number one reason There are a a number of different commands in the Bible nicknamed the one-anothers. You know many of them. We've read a couple of them already today. And these commands are, are given where we're told how we should treat one another as followers of Christ. Like love one another, honor one another, serve one another, comfort one another, bear one another's burdens, and so on. Almost 60 times in the New Testament. This is another of those passages. Actually, there's, there's two of them here as we go. Verse 15 to 21. Watch for them as we read. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So you see a couple of them. Addressing one another, verse 19, submitting to one another, in verse 21. We'll talk about the second one, but we're going to focus on the first one there in, in verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So, in other words, we're to be concerned with one another even as we worship God. Okay, so it doesn't detract from God's glory to also pay attention to other people around us. All right, and that's the main point I want us to take away from today as a, a church family, that worshiping the Lord in community, worshiping in community, focuses on both the Lord and one another. Okay, worshiping God rightly in community demands a dual focus on God and each other. It's not idolatry to also look at other people. Our worship is for God, but our focus can be on both. I know we're jumping in mid-sentence in verse 19, as that's what addresses corporate worship, but look at it again. Addressing or address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord, with your heart. And then he goes on giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there we see, worship it really expresses our communal gratitude. But first, notice here that we are clearly to address God in our worship. Right? We come before Him, we, we're to sing to the Lord to make melody to the Lord, to give thanks to God the Father. He's to be the object of our worship after all, and we are to worship none but him. And so we sing songs to him from our hearts, and we give thanks always and for everything to him. Paul uses very musical imagery when he says to make melody to the Lord. For those of you who are musically inclined, what is the melody of a song? It's the, uh, the melody is the dominant line or the, the sequence of notes that in a song that you know a song by, like that's how you would know a song. If I were to sing mmm 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 you recognize it as holy 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 lord god almighty. A melody is the, the principle, the, the most indispensable part of a piece of music, as opposed to the harmony, which is notes that can accompany a melody, or the rhythm, the beat behind a song, or our tempo, the speed of a song. Now, you can adjust a song's harmony and rhythm and tempo pretty easily. But if you change the melody, it basically changes the whole song. So what does it mean for us, then, to to make melody to the Lord? On a basic level, it means we ought to actually open our mouths and sing to God, to make music. But it's not merely humming a tune. As we're to make melody, it says, with our hearts. So it's an attitude as well, a a melodious thing. Thankful disposition towards God. Finally, I I believe this would suggest that our melody, the, the primary part of our praise, is to be directed to God. Psalm 145 sings, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. Like the only appropriate starting point for worship is, re- is responding to God's greatness. That's where we have to start. When we gather together to worship, many of us may come ready to praise God wholeheartedly. And many others of us may come distracted, weighed down, weary, anxious. Some of us likely come worried about the disasters in our world these days. Or we're Angry at someone around us. Maybe we feel bad about hurting someone we know. Or we've got parenting issues, or marital issues, financial issues, workplace issues, and we can't get these out of our minds. Or maybe you got some bad health news this week, or, or there's a death in the family. Bob Coughlin asks, what size does God appear to be when our mind is preoccupied with all the cares, worries, and concerns of life? Very small. But God is not small. He's great. Magnifying and cherishing his greatness is at the heart of biblical worship. The first priority of our time together is to magnify the Lord. We want to help people remember that God is bigger than their problems and joys, greater than their sorrows and successes, more significant than their tests and triumphs. Because we lose perspective so easily, God needs to become bigger in our eyes. He never changes in size. It just seems that way. And then he draws the picture of us looking up at the stars, so, when we go outside and look up at the stars, they appear like little tiny pinpricks of light, little twinkling dots in the sky. Pretty, but not spectacular. But then look at a star through a high powered telescope, and it is spectacular. It's jaw dropping blinding, raging balls of fire that dwarf our world. The stars haven't changed, but our perspective has, our vision has. And so that's our primary aim in worship, is really to, to place our eyes back to a telescope. To magnify God's greatness. To, to magnify His glory. Until we can't help but thank and praise and trust Him again. I heard of a, a pastor once saying to his church, let the audience arise. And he started the service. And, and as everyone stood up, he laughed and said, what are you doing? Sit back down. You're not the audience. This isn't a, a show or a concert that you're taking in. Like you're the worshipers. And God is the audience. Now that might be a cheesy gimmick, but I think it makes a great point. Like worship services aren't meant to be consumed as entertainment. You are not an audience. Like, the musicians are not performers. We are all participants. And we sing and we play and we listen and we worship for an audience of one. However, this does need to be nuanced a little bit because, like we see here in Ephesians 5, 19... We do, in fact, also address one another in song. It says, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. D.A. Carson says, the church in assembly not only approaches God, but it provides encouragement to its members. This means that the model of addressing only God in our corporate worship is too restrictive. On the other hand, while one of the purposes of our singing should be mutual edification, that is rather different from making ourselves and our experience of worship the topic of our singing. That's some good balance there, right off the bat. But let's talk about this. Addressing one another. Addressing one another simply means speaking to one another. And we all speak to one another pretty easily when we come together, don't we? We introduce ourselves to others, we find out about each other, we find out how things are going, especially if we know them. We have, we have conversations about the weather, about politics, about bus or train delays, about the NFL playoffs, about royal family drama, volcanoes, fires, other current world events... And did I mention the weather? <laughs> but that's not the only way we're supposed to address one another, is it? Greetings, small talk, even deep or heavy conversations, all fine and good. But we're also to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Speak to one another in song. That means that, that while our, our hearts... And our adoration should be fixated on God. Our eyes and voices should be focused both vertically and horizontally. Psalm 34 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Who's he talking to there? This means that that sometimes we'll address God directly. In our worship, like we sang today, my soul will sing your unfailing love. My heart will bless your name. And sometimes we'll speak about God in in the third person, directing our language to each other. And yet, no less praising God. Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? He is. Just think of what singing to one another can accomplish. In a key verse from last week, Colossians 3.16, it said that one way that we teach and admonish one another, in other words, letting God's word dwell richly in us, is through Singing. And as we sing truth with and to one another, it reinforces God's truth to us. It reassures us of God's love and his mercy. It edifies us. It encourages us in our faith. Uh, Our mission statement as a church, the first line in that is obviously worship God. This is the key thing we do. We worship God. But as we sing, not only are we worshiping God, we are also growing together And serving others. you, You may have no idea what an encouragement your singing may be to someone else around you. It may also be an evangelistic witness to someone who needs to know Christ. To people among us who are not yet saved. The cynical or the curious to outsiders stepping through our doors or walking by on the street. As Keith and Chris and Getty say, the sight and sound of a congregation singing praise to God together is a radical witness in a culture that rejects God and embraces individualism. Our songs are the public manifesto of what we believe. There are many other potential benefits to singing together as a community. I'll just add one for now. That worshiping in community expresses our unity. Expresses our unity. The unity that we have through the gospel. The, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, as Ephesians put it. In the Bible, the vast majority of references to singing talk about singing with others. Why do you think that is? It's not like God doesn't appreciate it when you sing alone in your home or in the shower or in your car. Like it's great to sing whenever you're moved to do so. But it's a it's a beautiful, it's a powerful thing when the church shows a united front in worship. And if God's word continually tells us to worship this way, to sing this way, then he must delight in it. <laughs> and in our worship, he's actually doing something bigger. He's, he's knitting the fabric of our lives together into this tapestry that others can see and brings glory to him. I love how the Gettys reinforce this point as well. They say, our singing is an audible expression of the bonds we share. We are cut from the same elements of faith, united in one Lord, filled by one Spirit, brought into one church to offer our praise to Him. We are forged together through our singing together. So, when you sing, look around. Encourage others with what you are singing, and expect to be encouraged by the fact that there are others singing with you and to you. All our individual stories meet at the cross section of the worship service. We are reminded that we are not alone. We are members of a multi generational, multi ethnic, multi everything family. We are reminded that we are not self sufficient, for we need a Savior. We are reminded that we need not despair, for we have His Holy Spirit within us. We are reminded that we are not the center of the universe but just one voice and heart among the great worldwide throng of people praising the one who is. And we remind each other of all this as we sing together. One more thing here. If you look in Ephesians 5, look what Paul says immediately after his commands about worship. Okay, so right after he says, address one another's psalms and, and hymns and spiritual songs, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, look at verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And what I take this to imply is that as we worship together, it seems to impact the way we relate to one another. As we sing and give thanks Side by side. It, it, it's not impossible, but it becomes much harder to stay in a fight. <laughs> and once we're reminded of of God's greatness and led to be thankful instead of entitled, it becomes nearly impossible to turn to our brothers and sisters and go, you know, I'm right, you're wrong. <laughs> or you need to give me my way we become much quicker to to let others have their way, to honor their desires, to submit to their wishes. If we're we're truly thankful, it is very hard to complain and whine and throw a tantrum. (laughs) So worship really lets us, it helps us let go of our pride to humbly show preference to others, which all goes to that preserving the unity of the body of Christ. And did you notice why Paul said to submit to one another? Out of reverence for Christ. Out of reverence for Christ. So there is a direct correlation between how much we revere Christ and worship him and how willing we'll be to submit to other people in the body of Christ. So you want help to avoid the selfishness, the pride that's really in all of our hearts? Worship in community. And grow in your reverence for Christ. As Coughlin encourages, we'll never overcome self-centeredness, self-exaltation, or self-pity by staying focused on ourselves. That only exacerbates the problem. We're still the center of attention. But when we gather to worship God, he's the center of attention. And that really, I believe, should change everything. So again, worshiping the Lord in community focuses on both the Lord and one another. But if we left it there, I think we would risk missing the point of the broader passage. After all, this is only one part of a sentence, which is one part of a paragraph. So as we... Read the rest again. There are a couple other quick points I want to make. First of all, that worshiping the Lord in community is part of walking wisely. Worshiping in community is part of walking wisely in our faith. Walking wisely really is the point of the, the overarching point of this whole passage. As it starts out, look at verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. And then it says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, giving thanks always and for everything, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. See the flow of thought? Verse 15 says, Look carefully then how you walk. Look carefully. And if you were to, to skim your eyes over the verses before that, we haven't read those today, but if you skimmed your eyes over there, you'll see why we need to be careful. Because there are so many pitfalls into darkness and disobedience or sin. And verse 16 also says this to, that we've got to do this because the days are evil. One day recently, I went to walk across the parking lot here at the church, and it was one of those days that we had a really warm thaw, and then the temperature dropped. And so as I walked across, it was like walking on sheer ice with this layer of water over top of it. It was treacherous. I had to watch my step very carefully, or I had gone down hard. Although it wasn't nearly as treacherous as walking through my basement in the dark with Legos on the ground. Which I did this morning, but (laughs) that's basically the picture here. Paul's like, "Watch your step, or else you're going to go down hard. Be careful where you step." And and he says, "As it's like, if we walk carefully, or we walk circumspectly, as one version says it, that's being." wise That's walking wisely. On the other hand, if we're not being careful, that's being unwise or foolish. We'll slip, we'll trip, we'll fall into a pit. Or, and that's spiritually speaking. You know what? You, you really get Paul's logic here. He says to walk wisely, and as part of that, therefore, we should be worshiping in community. Be careful where you step. So, worship the Lord in community. Be wise. Worship God with others. Make the best use of time, which involves corporate worship. Don't be foolish. So, keep on worshiping together. It's similar logic that we see in Hebrews 10 which tells us to not give up meeting together to worship, and all the more as the days go on and get darker. I mean, if the days were evil in the first century, how evil are our days? It only becomes increasingly important that we cling together in community. We worship together. You might wonder, though, well, what dangers do we actually face? What dangers do we face if if we don't worship in community? Well, if we don't stick close to our Christian community, we become much more comfortable with the world and its community, which leads us to becoming much more comfortable with sin, which could destroy us. So you know... The devil loves picking off lone wolf believers. Corporate worship can can often act like an antidote to the world's corruption around us because worship reminds us of who God is, who we are. Without gathering together to worship, we can easily lose sight of so many things. We lose sight of ourselves, we lose sight of God, we lose sight of Jesus, we we lose sight of the gospel. We need to be reminded, and then when hard times hit, if we're not like we so much easily, more easily despair because we haven't been reminded continually reminded of who God is and what He can do. I think one of the clearest dangers we face these days is self centered individualism. We so easily by the lie that life is all about me and my needs. One of the main places we can see this danger, I think, is in the use of technology. Because there is danger in using technology as a replacement for gathering together. Listen, there are Wonderful benefits that we can have from technology. Being able to to catch up on a sermon when you're sick or traveling, that's great. A live feed can be a real blessing to people. But we can be tempted to replace gathered embodied worship with a service on a screen. Or you can, you can listen to great preachers from all over the world, way better than me, on podcasts. You can get higher quality music than our teams can play off of YouTube. Sing along with that. And you can do it all from the warmth and comfort of your own home. Your bed, even. There's even a prominent church in the U.S. that has started doing services that are entirely app-based on your phone. So church is wherever you are with your phone. So the question is, like, why should we do this? Like, this is the world we live in now. Why should we keep traveling to a location to gather together with other messy people in order to, to worship a God who is just as much present in your living room? I'd like to play a short video from Sam Alberry to answer this question. And as someone pointed out in the first service, I get the irony of playing a video to address this. We'll see if, we'll see if it works.
1: Yeah, you, you can get some of the best preaching in the world online. Uh, you can get some of the best worship music online. Uh, you can have all of those experiences of church whilst staying in your bed on a Sunday morning. Uh, Your head never has to leave the pillow. And yet what you don't get through all of those things is being with the people of God. If church was just about receiving teaching and joining in the singing, then you could do that anywhere in the world and that would be fine. But church is about... Hearing God's word, being part of corporate worship together. It's about being part of a body. It's about putting yourself out for the sake of others. Uh, Church is not about primarily, I go there to get this, this, and this, but I go there in order to serve my Christian brothers and sisters. And so you cannot, on your own, be teaching yourself how to serve your Christian brothers and sisters uh, and that's another way of saying you you cannot be discipled on your own by the internet. Even if you are listening to the best preachers and getting some of the best worship music in the world, it's a very poor form of discipleship because actually we work out our discipleship in the context of relationships, of being part of a body. Paul says in Romans 12 that um, we who are Christ form one body and each belongs to the other members. So... When you say I belong to a church, what you're saying is I belong to the people of that church family. I am there for their sake as much as I'm there for my sake.
0: Church is not about you. Gathering together reminds us of this, and we often forget it. Worship's about God. And secondarily then, it's about us. Not me, not you. Him. And then us. So watch your step. Commit to worship together. However, worship is, is more than just showing up and mouthing some songs. Worship, if it's true, it has to come from the heart from hearts that are filled with the Holy Spirit, actually. See, worship is an outflow of lives filled with the Spirit. I put this final point this way, that worshiping the Lord in community comes from being filled with the Spirit. Being soberly filled with the Spirit leads to these things that we're talking about, leads to singing the Lord to the Lord and to one another. Paul says this, verse 18 And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So Paul draws this contrast in verse 18 between being drunk on wine, so being filled with a a foreign substance that takes over your faculties, and being filled with the Holy Spirit of God, a foreign being, but one who leads us to being more sober-minded than ever. And then instead of wine leading to debauchery, the Spirit leads to worship. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, I don't have, to go in, I don't have time to go into a lot of detail or the theology of being filled with the Spirit But neither can I leave you thinking, well, what is being filled with the Spirit? (laughs) How do we do that? So, very quickly. First, this is not the same thing as being indwelt by the Spirit, which happens when we're saved. When God's Spirit comes and dwells in us, once and for all, He never leaves. Okay? But being filled by the Spirit, on the other hand, biblically appears to be an ongoing, repeated occurrence. This verse in Ephesians literally reads, keep on being filled with the Spirit. Keep being filled. So, what does it mean then to to be filled with the Spirit? Well, to just give you an answer without explaining it much, (laughs) one pastor says this, being filled with the Spirit means being pressured, permeated, and dominated by the Spirit and God's Word. Pressured, permeated and dominated by the Spirit and His Word. It's a a joy, it's a, a hope that God gives us, that empowers us to obey Him. In Luke 11, Jesus says that the Father will give the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks. So then, how are we to be filled with the Spirit? By first of all, praying and asking for it. And then we need to, I believe, we need to seek and hear the Spirit speak through His Word. If we're going to be pressured and permeated, dominated by what He says, by how He leads, we need to listen to Him speak. And then finally, we must have faith that the Spirit is in us, filling us, and empowering us to live for God. Really, that's key here, the the faith. As John Piper says, we are commanded to be full, and yet we are not the filler, The Spirit is. The answer to this predicament is that God has ordained to move into our lives with fullness through faith. So he moves into it through faith. The the key simple truth I want us to notice today, though, is that, that being filled with the Spirit is what leads to worshiping the Lord in community from our hearts. And so if you, don't, if you feel that you don't have the desire or the willpower to obey what God is telling you to do, take a step back and ask God to fill you with His Spirit's power. Do it soberly. Take it seriously. Do it intentionally. Fill yourself with the Word. Pray. Have faith. And trust that God will fill you up with Himself. That's how I do it, the faith. Allow me to finish with one last challenge from the Gettys who say this. Our singing, even when it joyfully falls off pitch, doesn't that wonderfully describe some of us? Our singing should always unapologetically contribute to our sense of family and community. So when you are called to sing at church, Stop drinking your coffee for a moment, put your phone away, and look around and listen to the people standing about you. You are not an only child. This is your family. You and these folk around you are the only eternal pieces of this fading world. You are called to serve them by singing with and to them. So, instead of the audience arising... After I pray, we'll invite the church to arise and encourage one another as we sing praise to our great God, trusting him, praising him, and anticipating his return. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son to even make any of this possible. That we can approach you In these ways, these small, humble ways, but ways that you delight in. Thank you for sending your spirit to fill us. I pray that he would now. Spirit, come, put strength in every stride that we have. Give grace for every hurdle that we face. We want to do this, but we need your help, God. So please come and make it happen. In Jesus' name, amen.